And we do know that summer has come to an end because the prayer groups for the Steelers, Bills, and Browns have begun. So what was the best part of your summer? For me, probably it was, I got some uninterrupted time to just be with my best friend, my girlfriend, my wife, Pam. And, and, and yeah, thank you. Anytime. The, the fun part of that is that when I'm with Pam, in those unique moments, I begin to change because she influences me with, with just how fun she is and that, that, that beautiful, loving smile that she gives me just kind of melts me. And so um, I begin to become a different person, which means during those moments that we have those unique times together of uninterrupted time, uh, I change. I do things I normally won't do. For instance, I did a lot more shopping than I normally do did that. I saw chick flicks. Those are where no one gets killed and they all talk about mushy stuff. And so we saw some chick flicks. We, um, we also had time where we could talk to each other. And oh, One of the other things I forgot to tell you is that she stuck me on Facebook while we were gone. And so if you want to find me, just go look on Facebook and become my friend because I need friends. I'll take, I'll take anybody. I just, you know, I'm, I'm taking anybody, so just, just jump on there. Kevin Lehman called, got contacted me today. I'm, I'm now his friend. And so Kevin takes anybody, too. So I just get a hold of Kevin. So, and, and I'm still trying to figure that out because now I have a lot of friends who tell me about everything from how, what they had for breakfast to mushy stuff. And so we're, we're into that. And so while we were gone, we really started talking about some of the deep things. And we talked about family. Uh, we talked about our relationship. We, we talked about you. We talked about this community of faith. And this morning, if you don't mind, I, I want to focus in on some of those, those things we talked about and that, that I began to, to ruminate in my mind and in my heart about us. I was, I was checking out uh, Pam's Facebook because she's been doing this for several years. And, and I, so now I had opportunity because I'm on Facebook to actually go and see what she's been doing. So I went through all her past posts. And so this morning, I've ripped off a couple of the videos that she had on there and a picture that I want to share with you. So everything you see on the screen today comes off her Facebook. So if you have a problem with it, please contact her. <laughs> so the first, first video I want to show you is very appropriate, I think. So here, here's what I found. Hey. What you looking at? What are you doing on Facebook at this time of the day? You need to get in there and clean your house. Get dishes washed. Wash the laundry up. Get it all spick and span till your hubby gets home. I like that. <laughs> Could you understand it? Yeah. Did you ever feel like you're just doing life and somebody like that has to grab a hold of you and just say, what are you doing? So I began to contemplate that whole thing of, of what am I doing and I came back to this solid truth I want to share with you this morning that I spring from in our thoughts today. I'm a firm believer in this truth, and it's Paul's words to his, his friend Timothy, his second letter that he wrote to him in 2 Timothy 3. And here's what he says. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. While we're on vacation break, uh, Pam and I were shopping, 
And I was waiting outside a store. We were at an outlet mall, which basically had like 5,000 stores. And Pam takes about an hour in each store. So I was exhausted by the time we'd reached the store. So I said, I'm just going to be outside standing. Go ahead and go in there and just and take your time. And so I was waiting for her to come out. And there were a whole lot of people going back and forth. This was in August, and people were doing their back-to-school shopping. So there's a whole mass of people. And I'm waiting for her to come out. When all of a sudden, I feel these arms come up from behind me and embrace me breathe on my neck and I can smell the fragrance, the perfume. I kind of settled back and I said, hurry up, my wife's almost out of the store. (laughs) To which then she smacked me. (laughs) Now I knew it was my wife. I know by the touch. I know by the fragrance. I know by the loving smack that I received. I want us to understand this, and and, and I've come to this conclusion after many years of following Jesus, and it's this, that the Holy Scriptures are God's loving touch on earth. When I open up my mind and my affections to his words, God breathes. His presence surrounds, and I begin to change because his influence is so amazing. Because he's, he's fun to be with, and the word the scripture uses is joyful. There's a joy that is with him. And his, his loving smile begins to melt me when I'm with him. And so as I was thinking about this thought about what am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And I, I've spent the last several months thinking this through. What am I supposed to be doing with my 24 hours a day? What am I supposed to be doing with the dollars that come into my hand? What am I supposed to be doing with the relationships that I have? What am I supposed to be doing with the job that I, that I perform? What am I supposed to be doing with, with the fun moments, the free time that I have? What am I supposed to be doing? What is it that I should do with that? So to get an answer, I headed to where I believe, for me, God intersects with my humanity. So I went to the Holy Scriptures, and I actually ended up in the second letter Paul wrote to Timothy, and while I was reading it a few few weeks ago, God breathed. It wasn't some mystical moment, and it wasn't some James Earl Jones voice that said, Behold, the Lord says. It's just that I knew the presence, I knew the embrace, I knew the fragrance, I knew the loving touch, and even the loving smack. I knew that. So here's some some of what I read. I want you to to see it with me this morning. And it's Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, the first chapter. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Everything in this letter catapults from this one point. The promise of life that is where? In Christ Jesus. If you find Jesus, you find life. And Paul says, therefore, I am an apostle or a messenger or a revealer of this life to the people that are around me. This is what I've got to do. If I had to tell you today what it is that I think I should be doing, what I think we should be doing individually and corporately, it boils down to this. Our primary doing is revealing Jesus. That is what we are to do. I mean, check out from the scriptures. 
Check out that when God comes to a barren woman and says, now you're going to have a child, and that child will have a nation following it, and that nation, from that nation, will come a man of life. And that every priest and prophet and king and warrior and poet throughout the scriptures all points to this man of life. When John the Baptist shows up at the River Jordan, he says the kingdom of God is coming. The man of life is almost here. They call him the Messiah. When Jesus shows up, he says the kingdom of God is here. And Paul the Apostle, in all of his writings, say, let me tell you that the man of life is here and he is Jesus. All of them point to him. If I have any task that I should do, no matter what I am, and I'm not talking about my profession as a pastor, but just my living life, it is to reveal Jesus. Pastor Don, let's pretend you're Jesus this morning. Come here. The problem we face in America is this, that we point to Jesus on Sunday. In fact, let's just do this. Everybody just turn and... and begin just chatting with each other, and then when I say Sunday, 10 o'clock, everybody stop and point at Pastor Don. Ready? Just talk. Sunday, 10 o'clock. That's what we do. We just did it. But what Paul says we are supposed to do is this. Pastor Don, just start walking around the place, even up in in the, the gallery, whatever you want to do. Now, if we're going to do what Paul the Apostle said we're going to do, it's more than just Sunday. Just point wherever he goes. Just point. See, where he goes. Faster, Pastor Don. Come on, I know you can run. There you go. We don't have all day. Come on. I know you work out at LECOM. Go, dude. See, wherever he's going, we're pointing. All right, Jesus, come back now. You're good. See, we're pointing. It is not just Sunday. Why is that so vitally important? Listen to what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Here's the reason. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. How many of you have had sin in your life? No longer counting that against you. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, meaning we're back in favor with him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead what? Come back to God. How do we do that? How do we do that? Come back to God. Well, when Jesus showed up, they said he would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. My task is to reveal Jesus. So here's the deal. In all of my relationships that I have with people, whether they follow Jesus or they don't, it is my task to be their friend and to listen long enough to their lives that I can say to them, oh, look, Jesus is right here in your life because Jesus is in everybody's life. People say, does every road lead to God? No, but you're going to find God on every road because he's there to reveal himself and he uses us to do the revealing. So that if I can, in my relationships, just say, man, that's great because look, God's in the middle of this thing. If they can connect with Jesus, they find God. And if they find God, they find life. Bert, come here. So I'm talking to Bert the other day and and he's telling me that, that he had kind of a lousy life before. Pretty true? Pretty true. T- tell me what, come on this way. Tell me what your life was like before Jesus. Um, well, I, I, had, uh, I was an alcoholic, um, and uh, I was not a very good person. 
Uh, Big Rick can attest to that. I worked with him, and uh, on a daily basis, I tortured that man um, for being overweight or something. And uh, I would drink and, and just just to blackout, um, and it was a it was an everyday uh, everyday thing. Okay, then somehow you ended up here where we, we, we do our best in this gathering like this to reveal Jesus, but somehow Jesus was getting revealed to you before, too. Yeah. How, how did you end up here? Um, actually, it was fully alive. Our uh, TV program. The TV program uh, brought me here. Um, I had been going through, uh, thought I could do it myself, thought I could stop drinking, uh, probably even showed up here drunk on a Sunday or two, uh, and then ended up finally in, in rehab where uh, I spent... Uh, 30 days and, and came to uh, a conclusion that I couldn't do it myself. Okay, so Jesus started getting revealed to you, and, and what has he done for your life now? What, what, what has Jesus done for you? He gave me a beautiful wife and family. Um, okay, now we're not going to guarantee he does that for all of you. <laughs> well, maybe we can. Let's give well, that a shot. Let's go, yeah. <laughs> um, I, he's restored a relationship. I mean, the forgiveness that, that Big Rick has given me um, over time is phenomenal. The, the forgiveness, the, the, uh, the ability to want to serve people rather than take from people uh, has, been a, has been a real gift. Yeah, we've seen that in you. We've seen that, that incredible desire to, to help other people. How, how about your addiction? How are you doing with that? My relationship? The, no, the addiction. Oh, the addiction. Uh, 14 years clean and sober and not a, not a, not a thought. So, if you're telling somebody, if you find Jesus, you find life, just, I mean, you said a lot, just encapsulate it. What does that mean for you, that you found life? Um, the finding life part is... What, yeah, what's it, what's it done for you? It's just, it's opened up a whole world of things. I mean, the, the fellowship, the relationships, the... The, the opportunities, the doors that have opened up for me are, are phenomenal. And, and it's all because of the love of Jesus. And this church, I mean, I guess to, to really put it in a nutshell, I mean, I showed up here uh, beat up, broken up, and, and pounded. And uh, there was a few gentlemen in this church that had uh, grabbed me and uh, invited me to a... Uh, small group? A small group. And uh, I was at the small group. I only went once. Um, it, it freaked me out a little bit. and uh, Not all small groups freak you out either. I just want to make this clear. <laughs> There's good little scrolling captions underneath all of this. But it, it was just something that, that, that it really was the relationship. It was people were being real. And uh, I wasn't shiny and clean, and, and I'm still not. But uh, just uh, if I could say anything, uh, don't be afraid to be a part. That's good. Buddy, buddy. So I've been saying, God, what, what is it for this next year, for Erie First Assembly? What is, what is it you're really saying to us? And the thing that just keeps pounding back and especially reiterated by my conversation with Bert is we are called to reveal Jesus. And then Paul goes on and explains how we do that in this letter. And I want you to see this. And it's based on three really strong expressions. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a self-discipline. 
God did not give us a spirit of fear, timidity. The word actually means this reluctance to step out. It's just staying back in the shadows. He said, I didn't, when it comes to revealing Jesus, I didn't give you this, this timidity to say, when, when I was in college, I, I took a lot of semesters of voice. And one of the first things they taught me in voice was how to breathe. I thought I knew how to breathe. But they said, if you want the tonal quality, if you want to stay on pitch, if you want to fill a room, then you need to know how to breathe. And you just don't breathe from your lungs, but you breathe from the diaphragm. In fact, my instructor said, you breathe so that you feel like you fill up your entire cavity, the upper torso. You just take it all in so that you get this sound that just kind of boom, just fills the place. And you can't do that if you get no breath. You say, but, but I, don't, I don't want to sound like that. I'm kind of shy. Well, here's the deal. That even if you are someone who likes to sing pianissimo softly, there must still be this breath with its intensity that keeps it on pitch and intense at the moment. You don't weaken the breathing. And here's what he said. I have given you the spirit the pneumas, the, the, the breath of God to breathe through you so that you can keep the intensity, whether you're a personality that fills a room or someone who stands in the background, you still have the intensity to reveal Jesus in a very profound way. And he says, I want you to do it this way. I want you to do it individually. And the key question we need to ask ourselves when we do this individually is, how am I treating Jesus? Me and Jesus. That's the first revealing process. And it may surprise you to understand that how I treat Jesus is revealed on how I treat his holy scriptures. These words in here are not just history. These are presence. And you say, but wait, 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 Pastor. Jack, I've read this stuff before, and it's boring to me. I know. When I get to he begat, 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 begat. When I get to, and then for this sacrifice you do this thing and then it repeats itself. It bores me. But I wish I'd have been the person who said this. Andy Stanley says it so well when he says all scripture is equally inspired or God-breathed, but not all scripture is equally applicable. So on our break, our vacation break, Pam and I, and, and if you love the place I'm about to tell you about, don't send me letters. It just didn't work for us. Pam and I, because my mom had a timeshare that she let us use in the only place at the last moment we could get, we wanted to go to the Outer Banks, couldn't get to the Outer Banks. Uh, we wanted to go to Hawaii and couldn't go to Hawaii. Uh, we wanted to go a lot of places, but we ended up in the Poconos. So we went to the Poconos. So some of you, that might just be a great place, but for us, the lodging was good, but it was just plain boring. Now, it was good because we got to spend some time talking to each other because there was a whole lot of other things to do and it got cloudy, couldn't lay by the pool and, and anything that we wanted to do cost a lot of money and we didn't want to spend the money because we're just cheapskates. And so, so it was boring. The Poconos were boring. Boring! We left a day early and said, we're just not going to go back there. Now, if you're watching this on TV and you love the Poconos or you're from the Poconos Chamber of Commerce, don't send me a letter. So we went through the Poconos and got done with all of that. 
and, and really had good time in our relationship, which helped build us up so that we could really enjoy what happened. And it's kind of an, an addendum to our vacation. Last Sunday, after service, I got to do a wedding here. We did the wedding, and then we jumped in the car, and we drove about six hours to land over Maryland, just outside of D.C. The next day, we had some friends waiting for us with tickets to RFK Stadium, or FedEx Stadium, where the Redskins play, where that evening, Boise State was playing Virginia Tech. We were pumped. In fact, we got so excited, it was not even the least bit boring. We got so excited. I want to show you a picture of Pam with our friend Mel. (laughs) You know it's got to be exciting if my wife puts a potato on her head. Isn't that great? Do it again, Lord. I want to tell you about reading scripture. Sometimes you have to go through the Poconos to get to FedEx Stadium. You with me? Sometimes you have to go through the boring stuff that seems boring to you before you explode into the excitement of the moment. And that is why God has given us self-discipline so that we can get to the good stuff. Because if you don't get to the Poconos, you don't get to the FedEx. You don't get to the stadium. I want to tell you that boring does not mean unaffected. Let me tell you why it's important that you study this. If this is God-breathed, When I read it, whether I fully understand it or in engaging my mind in it, it is still God breathing and he is surrounding me with his presence. There is this dynamic of God that just covers me. When I'm disciplined enough to say, God, I don't feel like reading today or I'm not getting this, but I still believe you're breathing on me as I read this. You got to. The second thing is this. And and I love this story. It came out of of decades before. A young man comes to his father, and and it's back in a place where they use coal to to heat, and they were were out by this lake, and and the son comes to his dad and says, I've been trying to read the scriptures. You told me to read them, and I don't get it at all. It's not doing anything. I am not holding on to any of this. So his dad says, go get me the uh, the coal bucket there and and pour all the coal out. And, And what they used was a wicker basket. And he said, bring it to me. And he said, what's it look like? He said, man, it is just covered with coal dust. He said, fine, now go down to the lake and fill it up with water and bring it up to me. So he goes down to the lake. He fills it up with water. He brings it back. And by the time he gets there, all the water has sieved out because it's wicker. He says, I don't have any. He said, go back and get some more. He goes back four or five times, and now he's really frustrated because he still hasn't contained any of it. His dad says, now look at the basket. He says, what do you see? He said, it's clean. He said, why? Because the water has run through it. Here's what I want to tell you, that at those moments you don't think you're containing anything, that scripture is still flowing through you and cleansing you when you don't even know it. But thirdly, what I want you to understand is this that as you read this and as you study it, it's got to be more than just reading it, as you study it, you may feel like what you're reading is just going out into the outer ozone. It's just not not doing anything. I want to tell you that what is happening is that scripture and what you're studying is being collected together 
because there will come a time when all the pieces that you've looked at and you've studied and you've meditated on will converge for a specific moment of faith or revelation that you need to spring you forward in life. It will come together and your self-discipline will get you there. Now, how we treat his words or how we treat Jesus because he, he is these words. He is the logos, the expression of God, the word. The man who translated the, the scripture into what is called, uh, Eugene Peterson, which, which is called the, uh, the message, has this to say, and I got a quote there for you. I want you to see it. He says this, the words printed on the pages of my Bible give witness to the living and active revelation of the God of creation and salvation, the God of love who became the word made flesh in Jesus. And I had better not forget it. If in my Bible reading I lose touch with this livingness, if I fail to listen to this living Jesus, submit to his sovereignty and respond to his love, I become arrogant in my knowing and impersonal in my behavior. An enormous amount of damage is done in the name of Christian living by bad Bible reading. Caveat lector, meaning let the reader beware. You say, well, yeah, pastor, that's why we're here today. We want to hear the word of God. I love it that you're here. And what I'm speaking to you so often is to help move the community a direction or to let the community grow and mature. And the Holy Spirit is so, so kind to us. People will come up to me after service and say, pastor, that that message, I mean, you must have been reading my mail. And I, I say to them, it's God's spirit applying it to you. And that's great that you're here for that. But I want to forewarn you. That's not all. Not even close to all. To let me just come here and feed you. You know, let me just ask you this. But Pastor John, if, if Pam and I invite you over for dinner, and you come into our house and you sit down at our table, and she brings out the food, and, and she puts a plate in front of me, but she doesn't put a plate in front of you. She puts your plate in front of me also. So I cut up your meat for you. I take your meat and I chew it. And then I say with my mouth full of your food, here, open your mouth. And I try to deposit what's in my mouth in yours. How do you feel about that? You don't like it. Then how will you eat? You'll feed yourself. You know, even as a child... We depended on someone else. We depended on our mom to to take that food and digest it and then to nurse us. Pastor John, you still nursing? Thank God. Why? You don't need to. Why? Because I feed myself. If you find someone who depends on other people to feed them God's word, all the time. You have found somebody in a codependent relationship. And they are reactionary in their living. Reactionary in this case, that they come to a church and they say, quick, I have this crisis and I hope the sermon's for me. And I've had people say to me, Pastor, that was a great sermon, but I got nothing out of it because it doesn't apply to me. Well, excuse me when I'm talking to a thousand people. Am I going to hit all of you? It's not my deal. I'm trying to help you with a community thing, but you, you have got to deal with your own feeding. I appreciate the words of Mark Batterson that says, the Bible is not meant to be read reactively, but prayed proactively. 
What God wants you to do is take this word and gather with some folks and begin to study it in community and you do some research and as even on your own, you're researching it and you're studying it and as you are, God says, here, this is for you individually. I'm preparing you for something or here's what you're dealing with. I want to show you. It's then that he individually with us begins to reveal himself or in a small group setting begins to reveal himself and tells us, here, I'm going to challenge you or here, I'm going to convict you or here, I'm going to excite you or here, I'm going to encourage you. That's why we have small group gatherings. That's why we have people. I just talked to somebody yesterday and said, hey, I'm going to a Bible study, and that's really cool. I said, that's great, because I know the people that are in that group, and they're going to have everybody research and everybody dig in. If we don't do that, we don't grow. And so as we take his word and we digest it, It's him we're taking in and we begin to grow. And as we grow, we begin to look like him and we reveal him in our relationships. I'm going to tell you, you can't become like Jesus unless you digest his words and how we treat his word is how we treat him. He said, I want you to reveal him individually, Paul said. He also said this, I want you to reveal him personally. And the key question to that is this, how do I treat people? So I have a friend in this congregation, in this gathering, who is a big brother, and, and so he has this young man that he, for, I think for two or three years now, he meets with him and once a week, and they spend some hours together. And, and so a couple weeks ago, I got a call from him, and he said, hey, look, I know I promised that I was going to come do this thing for you, but I'm, I'm focused on this, this kid, and, and we're supposed to go do something with him, so I'll get someone else to cover you, but I've got to take care of this. Now, what I liked about that is that he understands compassion. One of the great enemies of compassion is what psychologists call the the drop-in-the-bucket syndrome. It's when we see everything that needs to be done and we're overwhelmed and say, "I, I just can't do anything. I don't have enough resources, and so we don't do a thing. We begin to calculate. In fact, researchers tell us that when we begin to calculate our compassion, we lose compassion. Watch what God does. For God so loved the world. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of problems. How are we going to deal with that? He sends his son who puts on flesh, representing him, and walks from person to person, dealing with what's in front of him with what he has. How we reveal Jesus is simply this. You, you know, you can give and not love, but you cannot love without giving. And what I want to encourage us to do is this. I want us to continue to love the people that are in front of us. In fact, if I could give it a phrase that I want us to focus on for this next year, it's this. I want us to invest and invite. And by invest, I mean I want us to invest in the relationships that are in front of us, the people that are around us, the people we come in connection with. Invest in those lives by asking these two questions as we relate with them. Two questions given to us by Dick Foth, who was here months ago. The first is this. What is your story? That I listen to my friends and hear their history, hear what they're going through now. And as I listen to that, I can say, well, here's Jesus in the midst of that. It's not a program. It's just your friendships. Invest in your friendships And ask the question or let it unfold, what is your story? And then the second question is this, how can I serve you? Because if I can say to you, Jesus has been in your life up to this point, and now I can demonstrate his love by doing, they'll know that Jesus is right there. 
How can I serve you? What can I do for you? Because it's an expression of God's love. That's why on October 9th, I think it is, a serve Erie, October 9th, check it out. We get to serve some people in this congregation and people in the inner, inner city and just say, this is what Jesus would do. What's your story? How can I serve you? Invest and then invite. The invitation part is I just want you to invite them to your world of worship. It could be you're having a barbecue with some believers in Jesus and you bring some others who don't believe Jesus. Mix them together and watch what Jesus does. Don't be afraid of that. Invite them to this gathering of worship because there's such an awareness of God here. I want to encourage you to be on a, a continual process of inviting people to come join you in your worship expression because they'll discover Jesus revealed in worship. So how am I treating other people? Am I investing? Am I inviting? Thirdly, Paul says, I want you to reveal Jesus in community. The question is, how do I treat the community of faith? The community of faith is not an afterthought. God didn't say, okay, I've got all these believers. Oh, what am I going to do with them? I'll think I'll, I'll, maybe I'll throw them together and make a club. When you accept Jesus, uh, who he is, and your faith is in him, you become part of the community. And God has a plan for that. And Paul says this, that God gives us power so together we can face cha uh, changes and challenges. Now, how powerful we are depends on how committed we are to each other in this community. And, and I appreciate the words of T.D. Jakes, who did a teaching recently. And I, I want to share a little bit of that with you, and I won't do it like he does it. I won't give it justice, but just great thoughts. And it applies to you individually and to the corporate community. He said there's going to be three types of people you run into in your life. The first is this, the confidant. The confidant is the person who is with you and for you. The confidant is the person who says, I'm sticking with you forever, I'm part of your family, and through hell and high water, I'm with you. I'm not leaving you, I don't care what happens, we're sticking together and walking through your life together. And when you get those kind of confidants, don't let them go. Because they're precious. The second grouping of people is what he called constituents. They are not necessarily with you. They're just for what you are for. That whatever cause you're into, they're into, and so they're going to hang with you as long as you're for that cause. But if they find somebody else that will further their agenda, they'll walk off and leave you because their agenda is the more important thing. As noble as it may be, they will leave you because they want to get the task done. The third grouping are the comrades, and these people are not with you, and they're not necessarily for you. They're just against what you're against. They want to fight the battles you're fighting. They have the same enemy, and so they're going to come with you and fight with you, but the problem is once the victory is done, they're going to leave, or if they find somebody that's more intense in the battle, they'll go with them, or if you're not as intense as they think you should be, they're going to leave you. And those people will come and go, and they help build scaffolding in your life and relationships. But I'm going to tell you, in the community of faith, for it to consistently reveal Jesus, it will need to have a growing base of confidants because they remain strong in changes and challenges. And you know that we as a church family 
And many churches in this country have gone through changes and challenges. And one of the great challenges we all face is the faltering economy. You know, they say that we're coming out of recession, and they say, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not there. Okay, no, yeah, wait, no, no, maybe, okay, no, no. Uh, stimulus, no stimulus. And, and, and we're all just saying, please, help us. What happens is, because we're such a caring family, sometimes we care more than we can share because we don't have enough to share anymore, we think. And so we, we can't help those. And, and so we even here have, have been cutting some staff positions and cutting some custodial positions so that we can keep functioning and caring because you're struggling and we're all struggling to, to make this economy work. And what do we do when that happens? Let me just talk to you just point blank with a lot of candor this morning. Jesus made it very clear, no matter what economic condition you're in, he said, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. With the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. I had two people within five minutes corner me this morning and tell me this news. They said, and on one of them it continues to give. The other said they were tempted because they had a big, big deal, they, a, a, a thing they needed to buy. They needed it desperately, and they were going to take what they were normally giving to care for other people in Jesus' name and use it for that, and they felt convicted they shouldn't, so they said, here, I'm going to continue my commitment of giving. And both of them, in just recent days or weeks, both of them received the same thing, which is a car that they needed, transportation. And God supplied it. I want to tell you that the basis or, or the, the, the solid base of us caring for people here and around the world comes from when the body comes together and does what the Old Testament did and Jesus then affirmed, which is called tithing. He sometimes would tell the people in Israel to give a tenth or sometimes, well, always a tenth, sometimes two tenths and sometimes three tenths for what they were about to do so they could care for other people. The scripture says the tithing declares who is Lord of your life. And if we say you're Lord, he says, I can bless you. But if I take what belongs to him, which is the tenth, I bring a curse on my life because God can't help me. And it promises this, that if you will tithe, you give your 10%. Then he said, I will make the 90% even better than the 100%. He said, oh, my pastor, you don't understand the bills. Oh, I do understand. So here's my challenge to you. Because I know you're, you want to... Follow in faith. You want to meet this challenge. I want to invite you to begin a journey of faith that this month you say, okay, Jesus, I want to trust you and I want to be able to care for people the way you want me to. I want you to take 1% of your income and give it to Jesus. Give it so that we can care for people. And when you see that he made that work, the 99% work, then I encourage you the next month to go 2% until you get up to 10% and see what God's going to do. That's my challenge to you. Start with one. God said, I'm going to put you together and I'm going to release power that you can meet this challenge. We also have some changes. You know that Chad and Jenny, Chad is our, worship, is our uh, director of, of student ministries and, and Jenny is our worship leader. And um, unfortunately, they're married to each other, so we're losing them both. They're leaving. I found out this week, and they're going to let me announce it today, that they are heading towards North Carolina outside of Charlotte to start a new church. And so they are now on a timeline, and today I want you to pray. They have an open house at their house so they can sell it. Would you pray today that they sell it? And so they're going to take off, and so what, what that means is that this Wednesday is Pastor Chad's last 
speaking time at youth service at the summit, so be sure you, the youth are there. The following Wednesday, those who have worked with him are going to gather together, and for he and Jenny, they're going to have a reception and express their thanks a week from this Wednesday. Jenny is going to continue leading worship until the tw- through the 26th of this month, and Chad's going to be on the platform playing the bass. And on the 26th, which was their, is their last Sunday with us, we are going to honor them in the morning service and take an offering for them and let them present to you what they're doing in North Carolina so that you can give toward that and, and help support them in that process. We want you to do that. And then that evening there's going to be a reception in their honor. We'll tell you more about that in the future. So Jenny leads worship and Chad does our student ministries and they're going. Where does that leave us? I go back to Paul's words. 2 Timothy 1.8. He says, So do not be ashamed to testify or to reveal our Lord. Don't be ashamed to reveal our Lord or ashamed of me as his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He said, Join me in whatever it takes to reveal Jesus. Join me. So what's going to happen is Pastor Dan who's been overseeing our children's ministries, who has this wonderful gift of administration and putting teams together, is going to head up the transition for the youth ministry, and he's going to be putting together teams of volunteers, and so it's us. We're all going to have to do this, and so when he's calling for help, you've got to help, because we have a call to the youth of this city. And so when he says, I need help, and he's putting together the teams, you've got to be there. So he's going to do that. Just help support him in the children's ministries, Jim Salawada has been asked to take over elementary coordinatorship, so he's going to do that. And he's going to need help. One of the great heritages of this church has been when we need help, everybody rises up and does it. What about the worship? Well, Jim Renner, who plays guitar, is one of our council members, is going to head, help up, or head up a, a transition team of worship leaders. And we're, we're going to just keep on worshiping, no matter who's up here. And we've got three lead vocalists that are going to help us. John Hamilton, Jonathan Hamilton, Mark Furman, and Dave Perkins. And they're going to rotate through, and we're going to worship God, and the band's going to be here. And when they need help, we're going to call for help, and you're going to be there, right? Especially you that need to play instruments, or you can sing, and we're, just, we're, we're going to see what we can do, and it's just going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And in the meantime, we're going to try to find some folks. I'm going to do a national search for a worship leader, and we're going to get all that done. And, and so it's going to be great. But you see, these folks only lead you. You are the worshipers. So you're going to show up, and we're going to keep on worshiping. We've gotten rid of a custodial position, and so we're going to have a volunteer that's going to start announcing that in a few weeks. And we're going to say we need some folks to come clean on a day and, or help us mow a yard or whatever, and, and we're going to do that. I'm going to come in on Mondays as long as the yard needs to be mowed on some Mondays and I'm going to help mow the yard with a hand mower because I'm part of this congregation too. So you're going to join me, right? We're all going to volunteer. You say, I don't do toilets. You do now. <laughs> and it's going to be exciting because we're going to do this together and see what God's going to do. Paul said, whatever it takes... I'll do that to reveal Jesus. So I want people to look and see Jesus as we reveal ourselves, reveal him in our giving to each other and our serving. We need to do that. So I want to show you one more clip, and I rated this from Pam. It's called a blonde joke for intellectual blondes. Now, she's a blonde. It was on her site. If, you have a, if you're a blonde and you want to complain, 
Go talk to Pam. But I, I want you to see this clip. Hello. I'd like to order french fries, a burger, and a milkshake. This is a library. If you didn't get it, check the color of your hair. So here's, here's the deal. Order what you want, but if you're not in the right place, you're not going to get it. I want to be in the right place, so I want to be where Jesus is, and he says, you'll find me right here in my holy scriptures. I want to be as he is, which is a servant, and I want to give as he gives, which Paul said, whatever it takes then we can order whatever Jesus wants. And in doing so, we will reveal him to the people around us. Will you stand? If this morning you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please stop by our information desk in the back and ask for a free gift that I want you to have. We'll answer any questions you have and take you through a walk on how to discover that intimacy with Jesus. We want you to know him. So now let me pray a blessing on you. May you today discover the breath of God. As you delve into his scriptures and as you gather with each other and you talk about them, may you find his joy and his smiling face as he transforms you. May you discover his cleansing And then that transformation, may you discover that as you care for others, their lives also are changed. And may you find the joy of working together by his power. For God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a strong self-discipline. Now walk in it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.